0: You're tuned into The Investor Mindset, where we talk about everything real estate. My name is John Asher, co-founder and president of Confidence. In this show, I sit down with investors to dissect their strategies, explore how they are uncovering opportunities, and the various ways in which they're making a positive impact in the industry. Hello, and welcome to The Investor Mindset. Today, we are talking data. Ten years ago, we used to talk about how big data was going to become the new oil of the future. My name is John Asher, co-founder and president of Confidus. At the time, the ambition was clear. Let's take the largest amounts of data possible. Let's clean it. Let's analyze it. And let's look for answers to our big questions like where are the best neighborhoods to invest in? And which properties are the best to own? A lot has happened in 10 years, and it feels like we're starting to answer some of those questions. Today, please welcome David Garrard, Chief Data Scientist of Confidus, to join me to talk a little bit deeper about how we can use data to answer these questions and to really make it better for investors. Welcome, David.
1: Good to be here, John. Uh, pleasure to talk with you about data.
0: So we have a very special treat obviously our backgrounds are totally different this time and it's a very data inspired kind of theme so david uh please can you give us a little bit about your background uh and how you came to join us at Confidus?
1: absolutely well i've been in software engineering and data science for more than 20 years and i started way back in the early days of web development back when you know, programming and web was still finding its feet, you know, well before the web 2.0 and 3.0 and, you know, machine learning was widespread. And I early worked in you know, business process automation, e-commerce, you know, publishing industry uh, positions. And, you know, after I built up a, a book of business, I created my own production company and, you know, gradually built larger and larger projects. And, and as a result of that, I was able to work with much larger data over time. And when you start leaving larger data sets, you start having to worry about data pipelines and big reporting frameworks and performance and analytics outcomes you know, over and above what you would be able to do with, say, a traditional, you know, Excel based tool, for example, you know, eventually extending all the way out into terabyte scale data. And you know, things with billions of rows. The really interesting thing is I've worked in many different industries, on, you know, related to data science and software, but the client side of the equation or the user side are in different industries, which is meant I've seen similar problems solved in different industries as people approach, you know, the patterns repeat themselves in, in certain ways. And that includes things like energy, loyalty, healthcare, uh, marketing, communications, these kinds of things. And uh, prior to joining Confidus, I was at Last Call Analytics and uh, I was the CTO there. And that's a SaaS business serving the beverage, alcohol and cannabis industries. And we can talk about more later, but you know, that data sets like transaction level data, sort of retail information. And so, you know, very different pattern to, to real estate.
0: So let me ask you the first question then. It's clear your background has not been in real estate, but it's certainly been in data. So when you start to look at and think about data applications for real estate, are there practical applications for data in real estate?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to imagine an industry that, that wouldn't be able to apply data, but real estate is rich with data and it's looking at the data in terms of its different characteristics. So, you know, real estate data has got a lot of quantitative data, number of bedrooms and square footage and things, but there's a lot of qualitative data that you know, more recent technologies are now coming to bear. Things like the text descriptions, the categorization, the photographs or GIS data that we can bring to bear. So there's a lot of interesting things in real estate that allow us to have a rich data landscape um, that I think there's a lot of tech that can come to bear in that area.
0: All right, so let's talk about how we actually make it work. So let's take a step back and let's think about, you know, when we think about data, data applications, what data is available to us uh, when we want to start thinking about miming it for better answers?
1: So we bring a lot of data sets together and then the key art here is how to align them together, if you will. So that needs to be aligned like geographically, in time, as well as in definitions. And So the kind of the building blocks for that and confidence is brokerage, So we get MLS data feeds of property listings that a consumer would be familiar with. And those are very wide fields with very rich data. And it comes to us in various different formats. So we bring that in, make it all the same so we can analyze properties in a comparative fashion. And then what we try to do is join that data with a whole bunch of different public data sources to enhance our understanding of either the property, the neighborhood it's in, the city it's in, or whatever trend characteristics we can bring to bear. And some examples of that kind of thing are all of the statistics and demographics we might have, population growth trends, a lot of neighborhood level information, you know, things like walk scores, um, school locations, the scores of those schools at different grade levels, building permit activity in the areas, transit locations and then a lot of sort of macro statistics regarding the overall real estate resale or rental market behaviors in those localities and all of this stuff occurs at kind of different levels of some of that stuff's like you know whole counties or townships or cities or some of it's more localized and the definitions will differ so we do a lot of work to make it all smooth and comparable so we can have a more accurate picture to compare property A to property B, even if A and B are in different cities Mm. uh, or even provinces conceivably. If I major on another major area that we we bring to bear is our rental data. So one Mm -hmm. thing that's extremely relevant to our investor clientele is predicting rents and the trend of those rents for different kinds of units. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more today. And that is an ongoing activity for us. And we gather data from our from our clients, from our partners, and from private you know, public listings that we bring into bear and to build a bespoke data set. And that's our main data set supporting our predictive activities in this area.
0: So David, a lot of times when I'm talking to clients or investors, I always get the question of, well, that all sounds well and good, but how do you really know if a rent is going to be a true rent prediction for a property? Like, can you just talk to me about what do you have to do to the data so that you can get good predictive analytics?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest determinant, of course, is just large sample sizes. So we do a lot of work to collect a large amount of rental listings to address, you know, any sort of statistical concerns you might have regarding how many things go into a given decision and over and above kind of the baseline information. So that would include things like obviously where it is. But in the number of bedrooms and baths, the type of unit it might be located in, um, things like that. We also know information from our our MLS relationships in terms of about the prior history of a given property, for example. We build a level of knowledge beyond the listing to classify it. And one of the biggest areas of classification is unit types. So you can just say, well, what is a three-bedroom rent for? Well, that varies quite a lot between. Is that a multi, multi-story multi residential three-unit bedroom? Is it a house with a backyard? Is it like a condo? And obviously the bedroom counts will vary in terms of the housing stock, but you have to understand that next level about what kind of thing is this. And then we take that and we align it with the actual investment plan that we're aiming for. So in many cases, an SFR plan would be you know renting it as a whole home. But conceivably, you would maybe want to do a duplex conversion to a legal duplex. So you would want to know what does an upper unit or a lower unit call for, or a triplex. And we have answers to those different flavors separately. They're not just a blended number like two bedroom equals dollar x.
0: Well, I like blended flavors. Uh, sounds like a, a fun melting pot of data. <laughs> okay, I again truly appreciate the data, but let's go back one more step. Sure. What are the challenges you have in even Just uh, faced by you when it comes to making sure that things make sense. I often, and I'm unfortunately uh, one of these people that does these things where, you know, if I have a spreadsheet and I'm trying to collect and record data, I might not do it consistently. And if I think about, you know, even MLS, there are 90,000 realtors in Ontario, and that means 90,000 possible different ways in which someone's going to input data. How do you start to tackle those problems?
1: Well, you're quite right. Uh, Real estate data is, is interesting. And this is something I learned when I sort of got into it is that it's very wide. So you might discover that we know like 500 things about properties in general, like it's an extremely wide spreadsheet. If you think of it in Excel terms, like 500 columns, but it's often extremely sparse. So you will discover that there's lots of optional things that may or may not have been filled out or are relevant. And you consider like there's information about a swimming pool. Well, if you don't have a swimming pool, a bunch of things are just blank, right? And while we may not care a great deal about swimming pools, on the margin, this creates a great deal of kind of extra noise. And and we do kind of a couple things with this problem. One is we need to understand where we can do gap filling, you know, what kind of information can be substituted where there is missing information or we understand where we can use, you know, broad locate, location averages in place of things. Now, we don't look at all 500 fields equally, of course. Some things are more important, the things like prices and fees, you know, the the, the quantitative values tend to be things we, we care a lot about. And to answer your question, like, how do we normalize it? Well, another big challenge is definitions. And not just between properties, but between data sources, between feeds, boards. So we discover things like, What is the type of the basement? Well, actually there's probably 30 different ways a basement is described, but we don't necessarily want 30 different flavors of what are probably only five or six major classes of basement. So we have a lot of uh, logic that converts different source definitions into a confidence definition of what we describe a property as. And that's applied across lots and lots of dimensions to normalize the information prior to us You know doing any effort to compare things Mm.
0: okay so that's all well and good thank you very much you've organized sorted the data but listen i just want to know where's the best neighborhood where's the best city where's the best property okay and that and that seems like a rather kind of straightforward answer and again i think if you spoke to 10 different realtors in the room they might tell you why the neighborhoods they service could actually be the best property. But well, is that true? How would you actually go about doing that? Finding well, those premiums?
1: There's different answers at each of those levels. So you're quite right. Like city, then neighborhood, then the currently purchasable properties. And so I'm gonna start at the city level and that's kind of more strategic choices. Like I'm building a portfolio, I or I'm a new investor, you know, where, you know, what municipalities should I be operating in? before we're talking about specifics beyond this point. And when we're looking at cities, what we're trying to understand is what are the broad, long-term differences between cities that allow us to an apples to apples comparison across lots of cities. I wanna compete every significant municipality in Canada to each other and understand for different asset types, you know, what are the most virtuous options? And asset type, I mean, single detached homes, condos you know typically sometimes we might also look at townhomes and semi-detached as a distinct asset class it's sort of those buckets of things and the the biggest city determination dimensions we we typically explore are what are the prevailing long-term home price appreciation hpi and what are the prevailing gross yields so gross yield is a function of prevailing purchase price for typical properties and prevailing rental rates. So we talked earlier about, like, where do we get those rental rates? Well, the purchase price, that's fairly widely available data you would would see in the news. And we're just trying to get, you know, macro comparisons between these things. And we do that for each asset type that's widely for sale in those locations. Like condos are not widely available in every city, so we don't bother looking at condos in small centers. For example, we look only in major cities. We discover some interesting things about this. So taking a couple examples tends to be a good way of describing this. If you look at, say, the Kitchener-Waterloo to the west of Toronto, you discover that it's got really excellent historical price appreciation, great price appreciation in that, in that city, those cities, for single detached homes, very popular, but pretty average to below average gross yields. But on the other end of the equation, if you were to go to Edmonton and invest in a condo, you would have had terrible home appreciation, but you would have had excellent gross yields. So you can imagine when you're sort of choosing in terms of what is your portfolio balance or how do you want to balance out different different sources of return, you can look at these dimensions together. But we have found there's kind of a band in the middle, which is more of a sweet spot that allows you to get you know good performance in both of these dimensions at the same time, instead of having to focus just on one or the other exclusively.
0: Right. Yeah, for an individual investor, I mean, if you're trying to invest in capital appreciation, it might feel a little bit more speculative, like it's it's all capital gain. Yeah. There's tons of literature out there around cash flow, cash flow is king, and that's probably the predominant strategy in the US, but you might not see those houses actually appreciate. So I guess that those are the the dynamics between the two ends of the barbell. But now what you're beginning to talk about is like a total return style investing and thinking about particular neighborhoods. Now let's say you're right and you're able to calculate those kind of returns for a city. Now let's go one dimension deeper. Okay. So let's say I found the city it's got the right balance between yield and capital appreciation, but now how do I start to think about, should I buy a whole home? Should I buy a townhouse? Should I buy a condo? Should I buy an apartment? How do I start to think about that? So,
1: so ter- in terms of asset types, you know, we we are able to separately look at um, rents as well as price and in most cases appreciation differently by asset type. So it's absolutely the case that, you know, townhomes might outperform single detached homes in certain localities or vice versa. That, that, that does happen. And so we can certainly talk about asset type. We can also look at trend. And I think that's really the key aspect when we talk about looking at these performance trends differently from each other. And we start looking at long-term trends in pricing by those active types. And then we go a level deeper into the neighborhood versions of those. So you know once I've made a selection of city, for example, I want to know okay, great. I want to go to London, Ontario. But like London is not that small. Where where do you want to be in London? And what we start breaking the city down in is to understand for rents, For prices, what are the long-term trends and how can we start correlating those to other things that lets us trying to seek leading indicators? And when I say earlier, the data we join into properties to understand them are, those are the kinds of examples of things that help us. So we want to look at, all right, what happens when new transit stops are created? Like in the case of the Go Transit Network in Southern Ontario, what happens when you see school scores rising? What happens when you see increase in new building, new building permits or renovations, you know, different kinds of building permits? What we're trying to do there is identify trends that we can, you know, isolate within neighborhoods to what, compare them within cities. We've already identified to see where can we outperform in a neighborhood versus the city as a whole, and that again might vary by asset type, but also may just vary by you know neighborhood. You know, move move a kilometer west and it's different.
0: I've met a lot of realtors and a lot of great realtors. and the very best ones are the ones that have been in neighborhoods for a long time. They understand you know the quality of homes. They understand you know the demand notes. And you know, I've been challenged quite a few times by by great realtors who know their local markets by saying, you know, and being challenged like, well, could you truly understand? That say the north side of a street is going to be a better renter, uh, rental property than the south side, and and the real answer behind it is you know there's a nice green space uh, behind the north side of the street, and on the south side there's let's say hydro lines. Can you truly see that and replicate that kind of experience? And maybe it's not a question for today, but thinking about tomorrow, is that possible?
1: I think that in the future it's possible. It's a matter of scale, right? So while a given realtor might have a great understanding of the, you know, change in neighborhood, a neighborhood, a particular neighborhood, you know, we're looking to compare like hundreds or thousands of neighborhoods to each other across like hundreds or millions of transactions of real estate. And that's really what we're talking about, you know, big data as these were for machine learning techniques and try to regress out those particular characteristics. So, you know, uh, which direction it's facing, the you know, orientation of the property, uh, proximity of green space are great examples of you know property level information that lets us understand across a very large sample. And this is really critical for this kind of thing. Is you got to look at a lot of this stuff to under to, to distinguish between other characteristics. For example, like you know, did that did that did that. You know, have a nice bathroom versus a not so nice bathroom you have to you know separate out those effects from you know to have a park did not have a park and so that's where scale is really the critical aspect of that and I think yes there's a lot of work to be done I mean this is you know relatively early days in terms of identifying you know really really specific but you can certainly do it in general to some
0: degree big question because this is the one I'm always excited about what excites you? about the future of data science and real estate investing?
1: Well, the future of data science is really fun because there's been such essentially democratization of machine learning and NLP techniques the natural language purchasing techniques um, in the last five or so years. And what that really means is the accessibility to take these technologies and apply them to new industries and new problems is a lot more accessible than it once was. and this lets us you know answer questions like what what are the effects of orientation on price as you indicated earlier And so I'm really excited about taking you know my experience from prior industries and, and problems I've solved there as well as technologies and bring them to bear within the real estate space or specifically for investment audiences. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to take this those learnings, and, and get tremendous gains.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm hearing the uh, the police sirens behind you, Dave. Hopefully, it's not the, uh, no, the, it's the, <laughs> the the realtor police coming to get you for their insights. But uh, you know, I want to ask kind of like a final question, uh, which is: Does this work allow you to move across the country? Does this work allow you to move across North America? Does this work allow you to move globally? to begin to understand and compare, you know, where are some of the best places to invest? Not just in Ontario, not just in Canada, not just in North America.
1: Absolutely. I think as we gradually have more and more data available about locations and neighborhoods and properties, and it's, you know, it's a feast of information available, especially with instead of GIS data, so of geographic information, you know, we can apply those to any place, allowing, you know, I'm an investor, you know, many thousands of kilometers away in different time zones to feel very comfortable that I have a complete understanding of due diligence. And John, I don't think it's just a matter of distance. I think it's about speed as well. So I think a lot of these technologies will allow you to move much, much faster and still feel just as comfortable to make a sight unseen, you know, purchase decision. Maybe and/or including, you know, finding tenants and you know capital improvements as well, without it feeling like it's it's an uncomfortable position because of the amount of due diligence information that can be brought to bear and the confidence you have in the predictions.
0: Very cool. Thank you, David. Really appreciate your time as always. And if I could think about kind of a, a final thought, and I'll go back to the first comment I made ten years ago. Uh, I remember standing in front of people and saying and preaching that big data would be the way of, uh, of our future, you know, the new oil. And, and I had to admit 10 years ago, we didn't have the real foundations to be able to analyze it. And, and I have to admit again, you know, I remember saying it's big data and I truly believed it, but I didn't know what the stepping stones were going to be. Flash forward. I now see it. I can see it. I know our team sees it. And it becomes exceptionally powerful in analyzing, you know, where should I be investing? How What my confidence intervals might begin to look like. And it even starts to open up areas and thoughts that I never had before around, yes, there are new opportunities. Yes, there are new communities and cities that are pointing in the right direction. David, this has been really exciting. Uh, I don't know if uh, people listening or watching, but when it comes to data and it comes to technology, this is the stuff that I really get excited about. And uh, I know it's a big part uh, of our future. David, thanks thanks once again, appreciate uh, all your insights. And uh, we'll talk again real soon. All right.
1: Thank you so much.